0: We all have needs and desires and longings. And God created us with them. That's not something that came into the world uh, when we sinned or when something went wrong. But God created us with needs, created us with desires, created us with longings. Each of us is looking to get our needs met and our desires fulfilled and our longings satisfied. And every person you meet is looking to do the same thing. They're looking to get their needs met, their desires fulfilled, and their longings satisfied. Uh, and as human beings, we have many different kinds of needs and longings and desires. Um, some of them are physical, some emotional, um, maybe physical or mental. Um, we're going to just take a moment to consider what are uh, some of those needs we have as human beings. And um, the two categories we're going to think in is what are some physical needs we have as human beings? And secondly, what are some emotional needs? So first, what are some physical needs we have as human beings? One. Water. Water. We need hydration. Air. 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 That helps too. Food. 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 Shelter. Shelter. Health. Health. (sighs) Gravity. (laughs) True. I like it. Good physics answer.
1: Provision of all those things. A lot of times that comes from money.
0: Okay, so uh, money, Mm -hmm. uh, some sort of provision, Mm -hmm. or it could be skill maybe Mm -hmm. would provide it. You could farm or, I mean really need other people. We have to trade because we aren't self-sufficient typically, so uh, others. To get that stuff? Mm-hmm. Related to shelter would be clothing. Shelters your body. And shelter and that does too, but Yes. yes. Go ahead. You need like
1: a certain temperature. Ooh. Yeah. If it's too cold or too warm. Like you know. it. Okay. Weather. My app said the weather has stopped. <laughs> Weather good? <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> We're still here, so maybe we don't need that. After all. Multiple uh, aspects of health as well. You know, physical, uh, um, emotional, spiritual.
0: Yeah, uh, soldier, we'll holistic. Um, so now we'll, so these are kind of physical things. It's, it's, and then on kind of what Larry was saying, <laughs> let's move to what are some emotional needs we have? As human beings,
1: we want to feel loved.
0: Be loved. Yep. Feel loved. Be loved.
1: Along with that, like to be known by people.
0: Known. Yep. To belong. Belong. Have joy. it kind of fits in both, is like to be guided, like we start off in life not really knowing stuff, and we need to be guided along, and so probably an emotional, I mean, kind of feels I mean people are, we're probably very emotional and distraught if we don't have any direction or guidance in life, so to be guided. So that along with that, general
1: the be education. Education. Whether it's family or, or social. Yeah.
0: And, like, with safety, would be government structure. It's kind of a social, could be a physical need, too. A structure. You mean government, not in like United mm-hmm. States government, just like I mean, that could be part of the structures that help society work. Kind yeah. Of yeah. Okay. yeah, which also fits with like belonging, you know, needing other people because they provide for needs. People make roads and make laws and all that good stuff.
1: Just need to be around people,
0: you know, yeah, like social media,
1: So community. Because yeah. yeah, <laughs> even if you feel loved and known, but you don't see people or have a community for weeks, like mm-hmm. you go crazy.
0: So it's like, yeah, like a physically with people, like seeing face to face, kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Maybe another one. Well, safety, connected with safety is protection. We need to feel like we aren't just vulnerable. And that kind of goes with some of these things provide that emotional need. Shelter You know, provides a sense of like, I'm, I'm protected. I'm not just all vulnerable to the elements or vulnerable to the animals or whatever it is.
1: Rest is kind of a combination of the physical as well as the emotional.
0: Yeah. Physical rest, emotional rest, spiritual rest. With rest, you can say quiet or peace. Quiet, peace. Yeah, it's a good list. We'll leave it there. Well, often, when I said that, we all have these needs, desires, longings. Um, When we get in a relationship with other people, um, we look to those people to meet them. Every single person you meet has these They'd be I mean, universal, we can argue, to all humankind. Um, and often when we look at other people, our temptation or the thing we often do is we see them either as a vehicle or an obstacle to getting these things. Um, so it's either a vehicle, they're going to be a means to us providing that, or an obstacle, they're in the way of me getting this stuff. Like, you are in the way of me feeling loved. You're in the way of me feeling protected. Or, oh, you are the means by which I'm going to get that need uh, in my life. When we see someone as an obstacle, we see them as a barrier to getting what we want. And this is, our culture tells us, um, when you have somebody like that in your life, you need to remove them. You might hear somebody say, well, this person in my life is always negative and complaining, and I don't need that in my life. And so it's like, okay, I'm going I'm to cut them out. I don't need negative and complaining in my life. And with this well somebody saying that is saying, oh, what I want is you know, happiness. I want joy. This person is an obstacle to that, so I'm going to remove that obstacle. Um, someone might similarly say that a person in our life, that, well, this person causes me stress or makes me angry, and I don't want that in my life. And so we remove the person so that, oh, I have less anger, I have peace, um, or I have less stress, I have comfort, or I have joy, or I feel safe or whatever it is because they don't stress us out. And now, um, for those of us who have been walking with Jesus for a while or have grown up in the church, uh, we know that Jesus calls us to love other people die to ourselves. Jesus said, uh, Jesus laid down his life to love and serve, and then he calls us to do the same. And it's one of our community practices of the church, loving as servants. And so we look out for the concerns of others. We seek to meet the needs of others, and we count others as more significant than ourselves. And we heard Jesus say, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you must become a servant of everyone else. And so if you've grown up in the church, you've been a Christian for a while, or maybe even a short time, um, we Christians try to put others before themselves instead of putting our needs, our desires, our longings first. As Christians, we try to put the needs, longings, and desires of others first. And we try to lay aside our wants and needs and preferences and comforts for the sake of loving others. And the Bible often calls us, we die to ourselves so we can love other people. But just a couple days before preparing for this message, I, I mean, I guess God knew that I was going to be reading 1 Corinthians 2. Um, I was praying and I realized that it's really easy for me to look like I'm dying to myself on the outside, um, but on the inside to still be living for myself. I realized that on the outside it can look like I'm laying down my life. Oh, I'm giving up these preferences. I'm giving up these comforts. I'm giving my time. I'm giving uh, my you know, my talents and my skills for the sake of other people. And I'm investing all this in, um, in other people's uh, concerns and desires and wants and needs. Um, But then I realize that my motivations can be off when I do that. Maybe I'm serving because I want to be noticed or appreciated or uh, somebody to affirm me for or commend me for. But when I don't get those things as a result of my serving, as a result of my dying to myself, then I'm disappointed. And this means that I'm really um, serving other people, dying to myself, in order to get the thing I want. And so I'm using people um, as a vehicle. Like, okay, I want to feel loved. And so what I'm going to do is serve somebody else. And if they're not giving me the love, well, okay, well, now you're just an obstacle in my way. And so seeing people as a vehicle or an obstacle um, to what we want. Perhaps you're the same way. Perhaps you're doing a lot of serving of others. Um, might just be your family. You're like, man, I'm just always doing things for my family. But you're grumpy and joyless about it. You feel weary and burdened by it. And maybe you're doing it because you know you're supposed to and not because you want to. I just have to do this. This is something I'm supposed to do. And it just doesn't bring you any joy. And we fall into this mindset of seeing people as vehicles or obstacles to getting what we want. When they're vehicles, we use them. When they're obstacles, we remove them. Or when we can't remove them, maybe it's like, well, I can't remove my kids, I can't remove my spouse, or I can't remove this neighbor, or this coworker, or this boss. Well, then we're just constantly frustrated, annoyed, and disappointed with them because they're an obstacle to getting the things that I want. They're in the way of it. As we continue in this series in the Holy Spirit, my hope is as we go through it, that we grow to enjoy God's presence with us through the Holy Spirit by becoming more aware of and available and attentive to the Spirit's work in our lives. And in our passage today, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I don't remember, do you remember what page it was, Larry, when you read it? 9.52. 9.52, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. The Apostle Paul here, he does some teaching on the Holy Spirit to address an issue in the church. And when Paul looks at this church in Corinth, um, my ancient city of Corinth, first century, um, he can see their relationships aren't right. And Paul knows if their relationships aren't right, that they've gotten alignment out of alignment with the gospel. They're living out of alignment with what they say they believe. They're saying they believe this about God, this about Jesus, and if their relationships aren't right, he knows they've gotten out of alignment with what they say they believe. And so how does he know they're out of alignment? Well, here's my one word picture. Does anybody remember the rope? A couple months ago we've used the rope. Anybody remember what this is about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, ten- tension. If you see tension in a relationship, um, it's because two people are tugging on this rope to get out of the other person what they need. You know, if there's a marriage or a friendship or a boss and a coworker or two co-workers or two kids or kids and parents, both want something and they're both tugging back and forth and it creates this tension. And so, if you think about it, you're, you're, we're tugging on people because I want to feel loved and you're just like, it's kind of like begging them and trying to tug love out of them, trying to tug them to give you joy, trying to make them feel like you belong. Or maybe you're wanting these things um, from somebody. I mean, I guess you can't get gravity from somebody else, but or weather, uh, or temperature. But maybe you can get temperature, I suppose. But anyway. But you're maybe I need you to provide for me physically. I need you to give me money. Or I need you to give me this. And people get in tension with the government. and You see them trying to tug things out of the government or whatever. Um, and so when we have tension in a relationship, it's because we're trying to tug something out of the other person. And there's this tug of war. And we're tugging on them to get what we want. And Paul says, if you see a church where there's jealousy and strife and quarreling and division like Paul sees, you're seeing a church where the people are tugging on this rope that they're trying to get out of other people um, what they want, what they need, what they desire. And Paul speaks good news to this issue. He sees pride has overtaken this church. Pride has overtaken the church at Corinth. And he says, and pride is focusing on self, and it's tugging on other people to focus on me too. Like, I need this. I'm trying to tug it over to other people. The only way tension can be released in a tug of war is if one team lets go and comes over to the other side to love the other person, even if they're still trying to hold onto the rope. But there can't be tension if one person lets go and the big idea for today is this, Paul, this is what Paul talks to this church, that's struggling with this tension, struggling with pride, um, and wanting other people to focus on meeting their needs, desires, and wants. Uh, the big idea is this, the Spirit gives us new minds to see the Father like Jesus does. The Spirit gives us new minds to see the Father like Jesus does. Spirit gives us new minds to see the Father like Jesus does. And a, earlier in this series I shared a famous quote by a guy named A.W. Tozer and he said what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now why is that? Why is what comes to our minds when we think about God the most important thing about us? Because it will affect all of life. It's going to affect how we relate to God, and it's going to affect how we relate to other people. And when a church is unhealthy, it's because the people aren't thinking rightly about God. When a family is unhealthy, it's because the parents, the kids aren't thinking rightly about God. And the Spirit is the one who gives us a new mind to be able to think rightly about God. The Spirit gives us a new mind to see the Father like Jesus sees the Father. So let's start with the message that Paul wants to bring the Corinthians back to, verses one through five. And this is the message of the cross. It's first Corinthians chapter two, verses one through five. And Paul also reminds them of this. He's seeing this tugging in the rope, this tension, division, jealousy, and strife. And he says to them, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The message that Jesus died for our sins in our place, that we can be forgiven, is offensive to some and foolish to others. <coughs> it's offensive and foolish because telling someone that a man who hung naked on a wooden cross 2,000 years ago is the Lord of the universe who can forgive you of your sins against him uh, and his father in heaven, uh, sounds offensive, it's offensive, and it sounds foolish. Like, what, this guy hanging on a cross, a Jewish guy 2,000 years ago, that does not make any sense, that he could be the Lord of the universe, and that he's my Savior, and if only I'd trust in him, like, forgiven of my sins. And you look at him, and it sounds ridiculous, because this guy's a king, kings are powerful, kings are in charge, kings are mighty, kings have authority, and this guy, Jesus, doesn't look anything like that. He looks weak, defeated, powerless, and embarrassing. He, People beat him up, put him on a cross in shame, took him down and buried him, and that was the end of that. And then to say that his death, you know what, we, I know he died, but actually his death was to accomplish your salvation for all the wrongs you've done um, against God and how you've ignored him and not worshipped him um, with your whole life. And that... His death was actually God's decisive victory against all his enemies, the enemies of sin and Satan and death. Jesus, hanging naked, weak, beaten up, embarrassed, humiliated. That's God's decisive victory against all the powers that fight against him. That only adds to how ridiculous the gospel sounds, how offensive and foolish it sounds. Jesus couldn't even save himself. How could he save other people? He looks nothing like a victorious, powerful king. And Paul knows full well that this message is offensive and sounds foolish to some, but he doesn't make it easier to swallow. He says, I'm not gonna dress it up, I'm not gonna make it sound nicer when I came to you. I didn't, you know, make it sound cooler or more sensible to you, or try to be like, well, you know, like crucifixion is actually a cool thing. You know, he's like, I didn't do any of that. I didn't try to sound impressive, I didn't try to make the message sound more impressive, I didn't try to make it less offensive or more sensible to your to you as you listen to it. Um, he says, I didn't try to make myself sound smarter or look cooler so people, so you guys will believe the message. He says, I didn't try to be an impressive answer man, uh, giving an impressive presentation. Why? He says, because he wants people's faith to rest in God and not in him. So he presents God's message as it is, plain and straightforward, and doesn't try to convince people that it's less offensive or less foolish sounding um, than they're hearing it as. And he's about to tell. Us that he knows even if he made himself as as impressive as he can and he made the gospel sound as impressive as he can and said in the most impressive way possible that it wouldn't make people believe it. Because the Spirit, he says, is the one who enables people to hear the message of Christ crucified as a display of God's power and God's wisdom rather than thinking it's offensive and foolish. The Spirit's the one who enables us to see true power Is self-giving love. And that's exactly what the cross is. Instead of seeing it as like Jesus' defeat, death, humiliation, weak, I don't want anything to do that. You see it as, oh my word, this is God's display of his self-giving love of how far he was willing to go um, to love me and to save me and to bring me into his family. And when we seek to tell others about Jesus, uh, we don't have to help God out by dressing up the message, making it sound Cooler, or nicer, more sensible to people. We don't have to sound smarter, or impressive, or have all the answers. You know, we can make the me- try to make the message sound impressive, or we can try to be impressive. Well, well, you know, I've read a, a lot of books, and I know this and this and that. And so, you know, here you go. I'm like the answer person. We don't have to be impressive. We don't have to make the message sound impressive. And people still won't believe it, even if we make ourselves impressive and make it sound nicer or cooler or more sensible. The Spirit is the one who enables people to believe, Paul says. And that's why when we're sharing the gospel, we need to always be in prayer, asking God to work. That's why I shared before when Katie and I were in college ministry, our definition of successful evangelism, successfully sharing the gospel, um, isn't someone coming to believe. Um, We have no control over that. Successful evangelism is stepping out in faith to share the gospel, while trusting the power of the Holy Spirit and then leaving the results to God because you can't control the results. Um, you can only um, step out on of faith with it to share it. In the rest of this chapter, Paul is going to explain how the Spirit is necessary for someone to believe the gospel. He explains um, what it is, what's, what is the work that the Spirit comes to do. And in verses 6 through 9, he compares the wisdom of the world to the wisdom of God. Remember, foolishness... Foolishness and wisdom are opposites. And the gospel sounds like foolishness to those who don't have the spirit, and it sounds like wisdom when God enables us to hear it as such. So let's start in verse 6 and read verses 6 through 9. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. In every relationship, our temptation is to grab the rope and try to pull out of other people what we want, what we desire, what we long for. We want love. We want all these things we said and we want love we want joy we want peace and we want acceptance we want to matter we want to be valued we want to be cherished we want to know like am i important to you am i important to anybody we try to do things to pull people to tell us we're important to tell us we're loved to tell us we're accepted to tell us we're matter to show that to us and paul says that that way of doing things is the wisdom of the world to take in order to get And so when we're grabbing on the stroke and trying to pull that stuff out of people. The wisdom of the world is to take in order to get I'm going to pull this out of you. The wisdom of the world is toward taking and performing and impressing and and gaining. And that way of doing things, Paul says. And the people who follow that way are bound for destructions. Paul looks at the Corinthians and he sees that this is what they're doing. They're fighting and dividing. There's jealousy and their strife they're trying to align themselves with the most impressive leader they're um, getting you know if we imagine we were a group of people and it was like you know there's a couple different people who teach on Sundays um, and then you know all of us started like getting starting little groups and divisions based on like well I think this person's the best teacher no I think this person's and we're all fighting and trying to be the most impressive and the most um, important and just trying to show my way is right and Paul tells them This is the wisdom of the world. When you put yourself above people, when you say that, you know, my leader is better, therefore we're better than you. And you, you should join up with us. And telling people that, he says, when you do that, when you put yourself above people, and you use people, and you create us versus them groups, that's the wisdom of the world. And that way of doing things, he says, leads to destruction and death. He reminds them, do you remember the one you call Lord? Jesus was crucified by people who were doing the same sort of thing that you are doing right now. They wanted to stay in power. They were offended by Jesus. He sounded foolish to them. They couldn't see that Jesus was revealing God's wisdom, his way of doing things. So he's asking, is that really what you want to be like? Do you want to be like the people who crucified the one you call Lord? People who are trying to pull. They're pulling against Jesus, who is God in the flesh. They're pulling against God and saying, no, we're not going to do things that way. Like You need to get on our thing here. Two people or two groups tugging on the rope and fighting for what they want to get is not God's wisdom. It's not God's way of doing things. And pride tells us, focus on you. And as long as we're doing that, we'll be tugging on the rope. But God says, look at the one you call Lord. He did not focus on himself. He was humble. So what is God's way of doing things? How do we live in line with God's wisdom? How do we live in line with the gospel? And that's what verses 10 through 13 are about. So let's back up to verse 9, and we'll read through verse 13. Verse 9 says, But as it is written, when no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, And I said, as I said last time, the word for wind and the word for spirit are the same word in both Greek and Hebrew. They just get translated differently um, based on the context so you know which one they're talking about. And wind is a, is a physical metaphor um, for what someone's spirit is. The wind is invisible. You don't see it. You don't know its source. You don't know where it goes after it blows by. But you see its effects. You see the leaves rustle, the, the, wind, the water ripple, and you can feel it on your face. And, you, and someone's spirit is invisible, and it's inside them, and yet you see its effects on the outside. Their spirit is doing something, moving them, moving us somewhere, and you see the effects on the outside, even though it's invisible and inside them. We might say about someone, well, they have a, they really have a joyful spirit. Man, when they walk in the room, they have a joyful spirit. It makes everyone else feel joyful, or like, man, they really have a bitter spirit. Like, they just don't let that thing go. Like, they're just, you know, still holding on to that thing. They have a bitter spirit, and Someone's spirit, think about the wind, it's kind of like leaves would be just still all the time. If there's no wind, leaves would always be still. And water would always be like glass, unless you threw a rocket or something. And the spirit comes in, it's this energy that actually makes the leaves move and makes the water move and makes waves and stuff. Um, otherwise, the you know, trees don't have muscles, they're just hanging out out there doing their thing. And then the wind comes along and moves them along, and gives them this energy. And someone's spirit energizes them to do things. And when people have a joyful spirit, they have a joyful energy about them. When people have a bitter spirit, it means they have a bitter energy about them. And what Paul says here is God's spirit, what energizes God, is put into us. God's invisible spirit is put inside of us and it produces visible effects in our lives. And what does the spirit inside us do? Paul gives two actions. and They're basically synonymous. He First, he says the spirit reveals to us God has prepared for those who love Him. This is in verse 10. That's referring back up to verse 9, talking about what God has prepared for those who love Him. The Spirit is the one who reveals to us what God has prepared to those who love Him. Paul says, No one has seen it. No one has heard of it. No heart has imagined what God has prepared for us who loved Him. If we didn't have the Spirit, we would never have any sort of thought. Uh, to be able to say like, oh, this is, this is the thing God has prepared for those who love him. But it's something that the Spirit reveals to us. And he says only God knows what he's prepared for those who love him. And then that knowledge that only God has, he now reveals to us. A so knowledge that is special only to God. He now puts a Spirit in us so now we can have that knowledge too and see, whoa, look at the future God has prepared for us. Look at what he wants to do in our lives. Look at what he wants to do with me tomorrow or next week. And it's not like we're seeing just this... No, oh, I know I have my whole life planned out as a movie in front of me. But he's saying, like, these are the things I desire for you. And a lot of them are these things. I want you to be loved and belong and have joy and safety and protection. And I'm going to create a new heavens and a new earth where none of this stuff, you're not tugging it out of people. I'm just going to provide it all for you. And second, the Spirit enables us to understand what God has freely given us. It's in verse 12. The Spirit enables us to understand what God has freely given us. This is basically saying the same thing again. The Spirit's purpose, the reason God gives the Spirit to us, according to this passage, is to reveal to us and enable us to understand how generous and gracious and loving and kind and good God is toward us. The Spirit is given to us so we can see, this is what God is freely giving you. This is what God has prepared for those who love Him. And so we're seeing like, this is how generous and gracious and loving and kind God is towards you. In other words, The Spirit is with us, so we'll understand how much God is for us, how he's not against us in any way, that he is so for us. Look at all what is prepared for those who love him. This is the only thing that will break us free from tugging on the rope with other people to get what we need, desire, and long for. It's seeing that God has already given to us, so we don't have to work for it. He's given it to us freely. We don't have to beg him for it. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to perform for it. We don't have to be good enough for it. God has freely given it to us. The word un- under that freely given is the word for grace. What God has graced to us that he's given it undeserving not as a response to what we've done but it's just been gr- graced to us. Freely given. And we just have to turn to him and love him and trust him. And if you want to follow God's wisdom we need to let go of the rope. We need to humble ourselves like Jesus but God isn't saying to us, well, look, I know you have these wants and these needs and these desires, but you just got to forget about that and focus on other people's wants and needs and desires and longings. That's not what God's saying. He's saying the spirit is given to us so that we see that God himself has provided the deepest and fullest satisfaction of all our wants and needs and desires and longings. God is the first and the best and the biggest giver. It's not that, hey, don't worry about this stuff. You know, you can't worry about that for yourself you just got to worry about it for other people no then we're like okay I'm letting go of the rope I'm feeling pretty empty god like and he's saying like no look i 'm the biggest, the best uh, most generous giver and then it's like okay, you've given me everything and now I can go and give to this other person of what they're trying to tug out of me and God uses us to do that uh, through other people and Jesus died and he sacrificed and laid down his life he let go of the rope and gave in ways that we never will. And when, we're, when God asks us to give to other people, um, we'll never match how much He's given to us and how, what we're given to others. Um, we give because God first gave to us. And God wants us to let go of the rope with other people because we can find our needs and longings and desires met in Him. We need to stop looking horizontally at other people, this other person we're on the other side of the rope with, and start looking vertically and see, this is what i prepared for you. This is what I've freely given to you. That's how we let go of the rope with other people. God isn't asking us to give to Him. He doesn't need anything. God doesn't need us to serve Him. Um, We get to serve Him. We get the privilege of Him using us. But He's given us everything so that we can stop fighting for that from other people. And so here are two sentences, sentences to compare... The wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. And I encourage you to write these down. <clears throat> the wisdom of the world says, I do so that. The wisdom of the world says, I do so that. I serve so that I can be appreciated and affirmed. I work so I can feel worth something. I'm nice to people so they'll be nice to me. I help others so that I will feel needed and valuable. Or it might be the opposite. I yell so that uh, people will do what I ask them to do. I complain so that people will notice me and start, you know, uh, telling me nice things. Or I gossip so I can feel better than people. The wisdom of the world is I do so that. And the Spirit wants us to understand that this is not how God works. It's not I do good things so that God will love me. I Do whatever it is so that God will forgive me, give me salvation, love me, do give me all these good things, um, let me into heaven. That's not God's wisdom. God's wisdom is this because God, therefore, God's wisdom, God's way of doing things is because God, therefore, God wants us to understand, we don't have to earn what we need from Him. Hudson doesn't have to earn what he needs from me. I would not be a good father if he had to do that. God wants us to understand that he's a good and gracious and generous father to those who love him. And only when we understand this are we able to truly love others. And so God's wisdom says, because God, therefore. Because God loves me fully, therefore I love others. Because God is generous to me, therefore I can be generous to others. Because God has prepared an amazing future for me, therefore I can give to others now. So let's just take a moment and make a list. What are you know? What are some of the things God has freely given us? Uh, it could be, I mean, some of the things on we could maybe say like all that because that's true. Um, we didn't do anything to earn living on the earth, right? <laughs> God gave us that. That um, there's a lot of things here, but. If there's other things we can think of, let's put them here. What are some of the things God has freely given us? Maybe we're thinking in a spiritual sense here, or Him as our our Heavenly Father. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Patience. Yeah, don't have to earn His patience, right? Never thought about it that way. Moral cleansing. Moral cleansing fits well with forgiveness, washed, but also changes he washed our washed our sins
1: as well as erased our, our... What do you call it? Debt? Charge. Charge. No, the... the against charge against us. Charge against us. Guilty. He erased that. That's why I see about the forgiveness.
0: Yeah. What else has God freely given us?
1: Eternity
0: with him. Eternity with him. And
1: currently the hope of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Reassurance. Reassurance.
1: He gives us like that sense of belonging and family.
0: Belonging. We could also say... Uh, Acceptance, mm-hmm. fruit of the spirit, fruit of spirit, so life change. Let's put life change. fruit life change. His presence, presence, family. Yeah, in, yeah. Go, go, figure it out. No, I brought you into a family now, right? His unconditional love. Like there's nothing you can do to change his love for love. Anything else God's freely given us? I feel like
1: the unconditional love is important. Alright, Heather.
0: We'll get it in there. I no was <laughs> struggling to write in this corner. Okay,
1: your son is still young, so...
0: <laughs> you mean for him to begin correcting me? <laughs> and well, well, day, Dad, you forgot. <laughs> one day you're going to be
1: like, son? You're right.
0: You're right, I I love you. Oh, I, no see, I see what you're saying. <laughs> I don't like you Okay, right unconditional, now. there it is.
1: <laughs> so that word unconditional is very powerful. Yeah. 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 I don't know if compassion is separate or if that encompasses all of that.
0: Yeah, we'll put it in. So let's switch gears. Um, let me make sure. What is true of God? I mean, he's done all this. He's freely given us stuff. What does that mean is true of him His character?
1: Powerful? Uh, yours is the power, and
0: the glory. Powerful, glorious. Yeah, I mean somebody who can do all this, like, has got to have resources at their disposal, right? Authority. It's the authority to do it, yeah. He's
1: merciful. Merciful. Kind. Encompassing.
0: Encompassing. So like nothing is outside or he like nothing is outside of his control or view or ability. Always, always with you. Always with you. Okay. Always yes. down what's wise.
1: good for wise it's people and what's not good for us. Sometimes, Sometimes. Like Some he's a good father than
0: ours. Good father, yeah. So good it's so a good, wise father and he uh, who directs us to what's best for us and what's good for us. Gracious. Yeah, we could go on. Um, but this is the wisdom of God is because God has freely given us this, and because God is this, therefore that has an effect in our lives. And it's not, okay, when I look at myself, I have all these needs, um, these are things I need too. man, I need hope, I need life change, I need you know all this stuff as well which a lot of it is overlapping. and It's like, okay, I need all of this stuff and I just have to give that up and other people need it all too and now I have to meet all of their needs of how they want it. That's not what what God calls us to when we serve. That's not I do um, so that I can fill all these other people's needs or so that I can get all these things from God or get all these things from other people. It's because God um, has freely given me all this and because God is this way, therefore... Now I can serve others and give them um, serve their needs and love them and lay down my life for them. And in the final verses, Paul summarized. So let's read verses 14 to 16. Paul says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they're folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The natural person is someone who doesn't have the Spirit. And that was all of us before we trusted in Jesus. When someone without the Spirit working on them hears the gospel, they hear it as offensive and foolish. When someone says, hey, guess what? Jesus died on a cross so that you could get all this. And it's a display of God being this. That just sounds. That doesn't even make sense. Naked Jewish guy, two thousand years ago, dead on a cross. How does that give me all this? But the Spirit awakens us, and Elijahs us, and enables us to understand. Oh, this is how God's power is in self-giving love. That's where the power is, and God's way of doing things is self-giving love. The message of Christ crucified. You hear it as God's wisdom and power. We need the Spirit for that. And Paul says. We've been given the Spirit. Uh, We have the mind of Christ when we're given the Spirit. And this brings us back to the big idea. The Spirit gives us new minds to see the Father like Jesus does. And Jesus fully understands what God has freely given him. I mean, Jesus didn't need forgiveness and the things we needed from from our sin. Um, But Jesus, when he looks at the Father, he sees him as he truly is. He sees him as powerful, glorious, authoritative, merciful, kind, Ever present, all encompassing, wise. He's a good father and he's gracious. And when he has, when he looks to God, he has all these things. He sees the Father as the best, the biggest, and the most generous giver. And what God gives, he gives out of grace and goodness. And what he withholds, he gives. He withholds because of grace and goodness. And the best gift God gives us is himself, which is what we truly long for and need. And his wisdom is the best. His ways are the best. They're what we need to lead true. To have to have powerful, uh, to have true power, life, blessing, and satisfaction. His ways lead to love and joy, and peace. And Jesus saw the Father in that way. And the problem isn't that we have needs and desires and longings. The problem is where we look to get them fulfilled and how we look to get them fulfilled. And when we're tugging on rope, the rope with other people, um, then that's a problem. That's the wrong way to do it. And God invites us: look to Me. And our primary task in life. Um, Sometimes we might think like, oh, my primary task in life is to get what I need from other, you know, get to my needs met, to tell others what I need and to get it from them. And our primary task in life is not to meet other people's needs. You know, it's not, hey, to get my needs met by other people or to meet other people's needs. That's not our primary task in life. Our primary task in life is to be filled up by what God has already given us so that we can now pour out to others. It's because God, therefore, we can't give to others what we don't have. And the Spirit was given to us to reveal to us and enable us to understand what God has already given us. And think about it like God has this knowledge that's only his. He Only he knows, like, his bank statement. You know, like, you don't, you don't, you guys don't know my bank statement. I don't know your bank statement. God has his bank statement of, I guess it's kind of our account. But anyway, he sees everything he's deposited in there. And now the Spirit comes and he's saying he's the one who enables us to see and understand what God has deposited in our bank statement. So instead of trying to withdraw um, all those things and others that, from others that God has already put in our bank statement, he says, look, you've got this already. Look how rich you are. Now you can give it out to other people. And that's how, it's because God has deposited so much in our bank account with him um, that now we can go and bless others with how much we have in our account um, with him. Instead of, man, I'm just so empty and I just need to try to withdraw from others. Get you, other people, to make some deposits into my um, account so I can be okay and be filled up. And one of the ways we can put this into practice, um, ways we can live um, to to uh, take advantage of this, why the Spirit's been given to us, this purpose of why He's been given to us is to reveal to us what God has prepared for those who love Him, to... Enable us to understand what God has freely given us. So one of the things we can start doing is ask the Spirit to do that very thing. So, you know, man, I'm feeling depleted today. Like a lot of people are asking me to help them out or serve. Or maybe I'm in the moment of serving and it just feels like, I just this stinks. Like, man, I wish people would take care of my needs. Or I'm tired and I'm, gr- I'm grumpy about it. Um, and we're saying like, okay, I'm laying down my life, but I, I don't like it. Um, in those moments we can say, okay. Spirit, revealed to me what you uh, the Father has freely given me. Please show me how much is in my bank account, how much you, the Father has deposited in there. Please show me how rich I am, how blessed I am um, of what uh, you've given me already. Um, the Spirit wants to take us into a deeper understanding of God's grace and love for us. The Spirit is with us so we might understand how radically God is for us. So then we can be for other people, um, instead of using them as vehicles or seeing them as obstacles to getting what I want, now we can be for them once we see that God is for us and on our side. And when you're having trouble loving and serving others, when you feel your intention with others, ask the Spirit, help me understand what God has freely given me. This allows us to loosen our grip on the rope and stop tugging and walk over to the other person in love with the same love we now see that God has given us. And the Spirit, as we've said in the series, desires to make us sons and daughters Inside and out. And the way he does that is he declares to us what God has freely given us as our fathers so that we would know that God is good and generous and gracious and kind to us uh, toward his children. And this makes us into his children who reflect that love and grace and generosity out to others. Like you can't reflect God's love and grace and generosity um, in serving others um, unless you see that he does that to you, You know, like like father, like son, or like father, like daughter. That's the whole point is that when we see what God is truly like. And a family with God as our Father, uh, what's that like? What's a family with God at the head of the dinner table like? We don't have to be stingy with how much we think is in our family bank account. We don't have to fight with our brothers and sisters, like Paul saw was happening in Corinth, to to try and get these things from one another. Um, But we see that our Father is generously and graciously provided out of his goodness. We need to keep pointing each other and reminding each other of his goodness, uh, the goodness of our Father. And as the family of God, uh, we've said one of the images um, in the series, the Spirit is, one of the metaphors is he's wind. And so, it's over here. We want to open up the windows in our church family, in our lives, and our and let's let the Spirit come in so that he can, like, Spirit, reveal to me what, you, what the Father has freely given to me, what God has prepared for those who love him. And that brings us a breath of fresh air instead of us being stuffy and stingy and trying to hold on to things and grab from other people. And so I often pray for the close of our sermons, but let's take a moment and let's do exactly um, what this passage tells us that we can do, which is take a moment to pray and ask, say, Spirit, should you just reveal to me me to understand what God has freely given me. So take a moment to do that. giving us your spirit so we don't have to wonder what you're really like so that we can have our minds corrected to know you as you truly are to see you like jesus sees you would you let us be soaked in the reality um, that you've freely given us so much and that you love us so much and your kindness and generosity are great in your son's name we pray